Well, welcome to Easter at Seabreeze. This is the first time that we've celebrated Easter together in our homes. But this is not the first time that Easter was celebrated in a home. In fact, the very first Easter was celebrated primarily in a home. Mary was the first one to see the risen Christ. She immediately ran to tell the disciples of what she had seen. Later that same Sunday evening, Jesus appeared to the disciples. The only disciple that wasn't there was Thomas. In fact, that's why for the entire week, Thomas really doubted as to whether Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. And then we read this in John chapter 20, verse 26. It says, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. The word again lets us know that this is where that previous gathering and sighting of Christ had taken place with the disciples in this particular home. So just like that first Easter, we are in our homes celebrating the risen Christ. Now, celebrations, of course, always feel more celebratory when a large crowd gathers, but we can't, we can't do that. We can't gather on the Seabreeze campus and celebrate the way we normally do. And so my prayer is today that the risen Christ would show up in a unique way in both our hearts and in our homes. So let me pray that that would occur. Let's pray. Jesus, we have gathered in your name and in our homes to celebrate the greatest moment in all of history, and that is the morning that you rose from the dead. And we pray that you would speak to us uniquely this morning, that you would show up in a unique way in our homes as we gather as families and in our own hearts. We pray that you'd speak to us this morning. We need to hear from you. We need your perspective on what we're going through. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10, we read this. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. This is a summary of the Easter story. The death of Jesus on that Friday, and then the resurrection, the life of Jesus on that Sunday. What this is saying is that Easter is not just a read-about-it kind of event. It's not just a think-about-it kind of event. It's not even a feel-something-about-it kind of event. Easter is designed to be a carry-around-in-your-body kind of an event. Well, how can that be? We can't live out the exact details, of course, of what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago. But what we can do is live out in our bodies the themes, the two main themes that occurred on that weekend. The death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. Now, how exactly are we supposed to carry around in our everyday bodies his death and then his resurrection? Well, in a way, we're already carrying around in our bodies, in our day-to-day life, the theme of death. There's almost always a, oh, no, kind of event or moment that's going on in our life. Something, it seems like, is always falling apart. It's always dying. It may be a dream that we've had that's dying or has died, or it could be a relationship or maybe a plan that's now died. Add to that the fact that our bodies are dying a little bit at a time. You know, the older our bodies get, it seems like something's always falling apart. And that occurs day by day until the day that our bodies finally do die. So we are already day by day experiencing the dying theme. But what about the living theme, the resurrecting theme? Well, in a sense, that's also already happening in a way. 
mean, if you listen right now, you can hear people talking about this theme even today. We are being told that we will get through this together. And in a sense, I think they're right. If the past is any indicator of the future, things will get better eventually. They will go on the rise. The virus will likely be defeated. A vaccine will be found. And the economy will probably recover. The stock market will rise again. Now, we think this not because we can see the future, we're prophetic, and we know exactly what's going to happen. We see this because we've experienced this theme in life. As long as we can remember, this is the way life has been. This is how life looks. It's a a series of waves, of ups and downs and ups and downs. And we've experienced this. And so even in the uncharted waters that we are living through right now, we are already talking about things getting better because they usually do. So death, the downward turn, and life, the upward turn, are not brand new themes to us. We already are experiencing these. Ups and downs have always been a part of the human experience. But Easter introduced a significantly different twist to these common themes. We are invited to follow Jesus in our bodies. And in doing so, we are given the chance to die differently and therefore a chance to live differently. What that means is our lives are still going to go up and down. We're still going to be bobbing on the ocean of circumstances, but we're going to be doing more now than just bobbing up and down and then finally dying. If we decide to follow Jesus, what happens is the ups and the downs of everyday life are turned into something significant. They're getting us somewhere. In the verses before the one we just read in verse 10 and the verses after verse 10, we are told first how to die differently and then how to live differently in light of the Easter story. So let's first look at how to die differently. There is a better way to face the dying downside of the waves of life. Here's what the verses just before verse 10 say. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. The first step, if we are going to die differently, is that we have to get the treasure. The treasure that this is referring to is Jesus Christ. He takes up residence in our bodies when we ask him to be our Savior, which means to forgive us, and then to be our Lord, which means that we are going to uh, follow him. He, He is going to be our leader. And in that moment, we actually become containers of this treasure. We are described as clay jar containers. Now, in ancient times, clay jars were the weakest and the ugliest dishes in the house. So the question is, why put a treasure this precious and valuable in a clay jar? Well, we are told that we are to be the display cases. This is, this is to show the treasure. We are the display cases of how amazing Jesus Christ really is. But if you and I were picking out a treasure display case, we probably wouldn't pick out a clay jar. First of all, it's made of clay, which is weak and fragile and honestly not that attractive compared to the treasure. Second, it's a jar, which means that you put the treasure in the jar, you can't see the treasure. So why display the treasure of Jesus in our lives? 
where it's not visible to the naked eye, and it's surrounded by our own human weakness. Well, we are told it's, it's to show something important, that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The point is this. We tend to want to display ourselves and not realize that we're just the display case. We may be clay, but we are arrogant clay. We tend to focus on display case polishing and not on treasure presenting. In fact, we enter into display case competitions with each other. We compare ourselves to each other like display cases trying to determine who looks more impressive. And when doing so, we forget the point that we are not the treasure. Jesus Christ is the treasure. And and because of our our arrogance and our, our ways to kind of polish up the display case, people tend to often look at us and just not see Jesus. This is why the display case, we, are made of clay. It's so that it can be broken and the treasure then seen. That's when the treasure on the inside is finally seen by people on the outside, when it's broken. Now, God does not smash us, destroy us in order to display the treasure. He puts cracks in the exterior jars of our lives so that the treasure, so that Jesus Christ can really be seen by those on the outside. Now, we, experiencing the, we experience these cracks on the downside of the wave, the downside of life, the dying side of life, when things are difficult. Now, these cracks usually occur in one of four ways, and this is the list that we find in these verses we just read. The first way we tend to experience the cracks and the jars of clay that reveal Jesus is whenever we come under a lot of pressure. As it says here, we are hard-pressed on every side. This is when problems come from all different sides. Maybe a conflict erupts in an important relationship. Maybe our marriage or with our families. And then something like this crisis, the COVID-19 crisis hits. And then you lose your job. And then the hot water heater dies. Now, we are usually able to handle pressure from one side. That's just normal life. And we can rise to handle pressure maybe from two different fronts. But it's when pressure starts coming from three and four and all sides, that's when we tend to crack. Now, it may feel to us at that moment like we are being crushed by life. But God won't let that happen. As it says here, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. His intent is not to destroy us, but to deepen us in these moments and to display his power through us. You see, it's when the pressure goes beyond our ability to handle, that's when we tend to turn to God. And oftentimes, not until that moment. As long as we think we can handle the pressure, we won't turn to God and ask for help. Now, most of us, honestly, right now are under a lot of pressure. And I don't personally like some of the things that are leaking out of my own heart. And I don't know if you may feel the same way about some of the things that are leaking out of your heart. But if we are to die rightly... What that means is we will stop trying to patch up the display case and pretend that we are doing great. Instead, we will be honest with the cracks. We will be honest with those around us about what's going on, and we will turn to God for help. And it's in the pressure that God will show up, and we, along with other people who are around us, will see that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. They will be impressed with the treasure not with us, the display case. The second kind of crack is when we're perplexed. We encounter a problem that is beyond our ability to understand or figure out. 
We simply don't know what to do next. We're perplexed. The Greek word that's used here comes from two words. The first word means no way. The second word means to cross a river. So it's this image of someone standing on one side of a massive, wide, deep, swift-moving river needing to get to the other side, but there's no bridge, there's no boats. They have no idea of how they're going to get from one side of the river to the other. That's the image of what it means to be perplexed. Now, honestly, we are all experiencing this right now. We're looking across a raging river called COVID-19. And on the other side are the places that we want to get to. We want to get back to work. We want to get back to fun and entertainment, and we want to get back to worshiping. We want to return to being able to pay our rent on time or our mortgage. We want to retain the customers of our business, and we want to figure out a way to get back to work. The question is always, when can we do this, and how are we going to do this? The answer to that is usually, we don't know. Those are the three words that we hear more and more in this crisis. We just don't know. That is what it means to be perplexed. We don't know. We don't know what to do next. Now, usually, we encounter perplexity as individuals. We don't know what to do maybe about our job or about our marriage or about our our kids. But right now, we are all staring across the same I don't know river. And we are all perplexed in different ways about the same circumstance. So how do we face the dying experience of perplexity differently? As it says here, we are perplexed, but not in despair. We don't crumple into a pile of hopelessness and give up. Why? Because of the sheer power of our ability to swim giant raging rivers? No. We are jars of clay. We can't swim. Now, we can decorate ourselves to look pretty impressive to ourselves and even to others. But it's in moments like this when the clay tends to shine, or not really shine, but show through the paint. We choose to not sink into despair because of the treasure we carry, not because of the jar that we are. If there was ever a reason to despair, it was at the cross. But just three days later was the resurrection. That's the one who has taken up residence in our bodies. That puts our giant, uncrossable rivers into proper perspective. The next crack is whenever we're persecuted. That word means to to make someone run. The idea is that someone or something is chasing us, and it's got us running in fear. Now, I experience this right now whenever I read or watch the news for more than 30 minutes. That's all it takes for me to start panicking a little bit on the inside and start running. So how can we face the the dying experience of fear differently? As it says, but not abandoned. We're persecuted. There, There are things hounding us that cause us to run in fear, but we're not running alone. We're not abandoned. What keeps us safe is not the conditions surrounding the jar of clay or the strength of us, the clay. What guarantees our survivability, even in the face of death, is the treasure, again, that's inside the jar. When we reach out to Jesus, he grabs hold of us with a grip that does not let go. And he says, everyone and everything may be chasing you, but I'm with you. I will not abandon you in this moment. And then the last type of crack occurs whenever we are struck down. 
This is when something hits you with enough force just to knock you over. The idea is it just upends you and you're, you're knocked down. This is sudden calamity that upends your entire world. This occurs when someone you love dies, or maybe you're the victim of a crime. Maybe when you're diagnosed with, can- with cancer. Of course, right now, again, this is a great description of what we're experiencing with COVID-19. Our world has just literally been upended, blindsided. Our financial world implodes. So how can we face the dying experience of calamity differently? As it says, struck down but not destroyed. But how can we know that we're not going to be destroyed by this or any other calamity? Can we know this because famous people are telling us that we'll get through this? No, that's not a good enough hope. The reason we can know this is because our story is not just our story. Your story is not just your story. If you've decided to follow Jesus Christ, you are carrying in your body right now his story in addition to your story. What that means is that the Easter story is now woven together in the themes of your own story. And Easter is the ultimate struck down but not destroyed story. Its theme really can be captured in the two words that have been repeated four times in the verses that we've just gone over. The two words are, but not. Four times, but not. Under pressure. For Jesus, it it looked like the pressure of the Jewish and Roman powers would crush Jesus, but not. He rose from the dead. The death of Jesus made no sense to his disciples. Talk about perplexity. They were stunned. They had no idea what was happening. But not on the third day. The perplexity lifted and Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples were in that home on that first Easter with the door locked because they were afraid. They were afraid of persecution. They were running for their lives and hiding for their lives. But not one year later. One year later in Acts 17.6, The disciples are described as the individuals who have turned the entire world upside down. How do you go from a group of people huddled in fear in a home with the doors locked to change and upending the entire world? That's the story of Jesus Christ, the death and the resurrection. So why should we have hope in the middle of pressure and perplexity and persecution and calamity? Because things always turn around? Well, that's blind hope, and it's very thin. No, the reason we have hope is because we carry around in our body the Easter story, the from death to life story. So when our lives look dark and dying, we know that that's just the necessary precursor to Easter. Easter was only possible because of what we now call Good Friday. The cross is what made Easter possible. Death is what precedes resurrection. And so when we are experiencing the downside, the death side, we know that that's not the final side. There is the resurrection that will follow the death. So that's how to die differently. Now, how to live differently. There is also a better way to view our day-to-day life. There's a better way to die, and there's a better way to live. We are told this in the verses that follow Verse 10, in verses 16 through 18 of 2 Corinthians 4, we read this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So it describes, first of all, the outward you. There is an outward you, an outward me. This is what we see when we look at each other. It's the visible you that exists in space and time. But you and I are far more than just a visible body occupying a spot on the line of time. There is also an inward you and an inward me. This is the invisible you that exists beyond space and time. This is at the very core, the very center of who you are. The Bible often refers to this part of us as our heart. It is the invisible you that directs the visible you through this life. And it is the invisible you that will continue on into the next life, either in isolation from God or in a continued relationship with him that was started in this life. Now, the thing about our heart, our invisible inside us, is we tend to lose heart. That's what's referring to in this verse. What that means is we can become discouraged in daily life. Why? Well, life can begin to seem pretty pointless, bobbing up and down and up and down on the ways of life. Add to that the big up and the big down of our bodies, and it's easy to see why we lose heart. You know, our bodies grow in strength and skill, and then we all peak. Some peak a little earlier and some peak a little later, but we all eventually peak. And then it's pretty much downhill physically, day by day from that point forward. That's what it means when it says outwardly we are wasting away. Time is not helping us physically. But there is an opportunity in this big physical wave, this big up and this big down physically, just like there are opportunities on the smaller up and down circumstantial waves. And this is the opportunity. Yet, inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. What that means is we have the opportunity to turn the days of our life, not into just a series of ups and downs, but into an ongoing rise, an inward renewal that is worth all of the ups and downs. So how can we be renewed day by day? Well, by making the most from the downside of the wave. What it says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I don't think anyone would call COVID-19 light trouble. This is massive global trouble. But the point is this, if this trouble, as bad as this is, changes us internally, well, that's an eternal effect. And that, therefore, outweighs even trouble like this. You see, trouble is an opportunity, and this is the opportunity, to fix our eyes not on what is seen and is therefore temporary, but on what is unseen and is therefore eternal. Trouble tends to be the only thing that takes the shine off of the visible world. And that gives us a chance to develop the inside us. That gives us a chance to begin to change our hearts. And if that happens, if we are renewed on the inside, that far outweighs all the trouble that was happening on the outside. You see, it's as the temporary glory of here and now fades and begins to cause problems, that's when we tend to open our eyes and at least consider the unseen stuff that's worth far more. Now, this, of course, is not an automatic process. 
You don't automatically have trouble, and then automatically there's inward renewal. It's simply an opportunity that occurs whenever trouble happens. In fact, most people will probably go back to the way things were when this crisis is over. There will have been no real internal renewal or change, and that's a lost opportunity. So if you want to live differently, if you want to be renewed day by day, then you will turn this trouble into a different day-by-day way of seeing life. Renewal occurs daily as we fix our eyes on Jesus and on what he says. Now, I wish that renewal was just a switch that we could flip and we'd suddenly be new people. That'd be great. But renewal is a day-by-day decision and process. We are not renewed on the inside as we close our eyes to this world and we just focus on the inside us. No, we live in the visible world. And what that means is we need to open our eyes. We need to make decisions in this visible world. We are renewed day by day when we decide to take the words of God and we use them as as an overlay on the decisions we make in this visible life. In a sense, God then becomes kind of like a heads-up display that overlays this visible world. Like in a car, you you can still see the road, you can still see the terrain, but the heads-up display gives you the important information and data that you need in order to make driving decisions. That's what God and the Bible, His Word, is to be. It is to be a heads-up display that, that is imposed over all of the visible decisions we make in life. We still see what's happening. We still make decisions, but we check in with God to see what is, what is His information that allows us to make the decisions that please Him. That is how we are renewed day by day. If we do that, then both the good and bad days of life can add up to a day-by-day renewal on the inside. Now, all of this dying differently and all of this living differently begins and continues with Easter. As we read at the beginning, 2 Corinthians 4.10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So the biggest question today is this. Are you carrying around in your body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in your body. In other words, is the Easter story just a story to ponder annually and maybe a little more than that? Or is it an overlay for your own personal story? Now, Easter becomes our story the moment we ask Jesus, the author and owner of this story, to be our Savior and to be our Lord. We ask him to forgive us. That's what it means to save us, to be our Savior. And we commit to follow him, to use his words as the overlay, the heads-up display in our life. That's what it means to make him our Lord. And in that moment, every oh-no circumstance in life is infused with hope. And in that moment, every day can be a day of renewal. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your story. We thank you for your death and your resurrection. None of us have experienced the death that you did or quite the resurrection you did. But in smaller ways, we know the taste of death. We know the sting of death. And we desperately need you to renew us day by day. And so on this Easter, 
We thank you for your death and your resurrection, and we turn to you as our Savior, our only hope, and as our Lord, the only one that can guide us forward in this life. And we ask that you would speak to us, and you would encourage us in whatever pressure or perplexity or persecution or calamity that we're facing right now. Help us, we pray, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.